the actual teaching, the four teachings on the communion or the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, depending on what you, uh, you want to call it and what your tradition is. Um, and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So if you're in, in version, take a look there. Uh, I'm going to try to cover this quickly, but I want to make sure we cover it completely. And so I'm not going to rush it if that's okay with you. Um, and, and so just bear with me this morning. There are four categories that I've kind of broken 1 Corinthians 11 pertaining to the Lord's Supper. Broken it up into four categories. The first one is the problem that Paul identifies surrounding the church at Corinth with regard to the meal. Uh, look at verse 17 in 1 Corinthians 11. This is the problem that he identifies. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Now, I want you to, I want you to just think about this for a second. He's, he's saying, I've heard there are divisions. And then Paul becomes, he, Paul has the spiritual gift of sarcasm. Okay, anybody else in the house have the spiritual gift of sarcasm? Okay, okay. Paul's got it because look, look at this, look what he says. I hear that there's divisions among you and to some extent I believe it. No doubt. There have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. I mean, he's just kind of gouging them right off the, yeah. You know, some of you obviously have God's approval because, because God likes you better than he likes other people. That's what Paul is literally saying right there. There are divisions, there's things that are going on in this church. So he, he uses his sarcasm. Then he says, so then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another one gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I tell you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. In Corinth, in this particular church that Paul is writing these letters to and trying to correct, Paul spends a lot of time trying to correct stuff in Corinth. This is just one thing. When you read through 1 and 2 Corinthians, especially 1 Corinthians, you see a lot of correction going on. In, in what Paul is teaching. Corinth was a wealthy city. Um, obviously, a lot of wealthy individuals had come to faith in Jesus and they were, they were following Christ, but there was also a, a extreme poverty in that area. And what was happening is when they would have these church suppers, if you will, we called them, we called them dinner on the ground down south for a long time, but they would, they would, you would actually go to a, a person's house and it was typically one of the more wealthy members of the church because they had more room. And if you really break it down to the banquets in Corinth, you find that, that in, the, uh, in the atrium area, there's a place where they have the tables and they were set up in these homes. And then there was another inner area where the friends of the wealthy would eat. And then the other people were relegated to either the, the atrium or the outside. You had to go out and set in the yard and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so there was definitely socioeconomic division in the church at Corinth. And what was happening is that the wealthy would have their food and they were eating full meals and they were, some of them eating so much and drinking so much that some of them were getting drunk, but the poor would come into this scenario and they don't have anything. They didn't have anything to bring to put on the table because they didn't have much. So they were there for the Lord's Supper, the recognizing in the blood and body of Christ. And so this is the whole thing that's going on. And so Paul is making a point 
Do not despise the church of God by humiliating people that have something have less. If you have something, don't humiliate someone. It'd be like it'd literally be go, like going to to an impoverished area of the world in our town, wherever it is. Sitting down amongst a, hung, a, a group of homeless people that are hungry, they have no way to support themselves. Sitting down with a T-bone steak and a baked potato and a big jug of tea and some yeast rolls, and going. I'm going to eat if you don't mind while they're seated around watching you eat your steak. You say, well, they ought to get a job. Hey, look, you ought to clean up your attitude. (laughs) Right? But this is what's happening in Corinth. The wealthy are eating and gorging themselves while the poor are sitting and watching this happen. So Paul is literally making a point just because you have wealth, and this, and this is a common thing, this is a common thing in ancient times, because typically if you were well off, people looked at you like God's favors on you, and if you were poor, that's God's judgment. And nothing can be further from the truth. Nothing can be further from the truth. If you were sick, then that's God's judgment. That's not always true. Could it be true? Maybe. Most of the time, not. It's just, guess what? You live in a fallen world, there's disease, you get sick. You know? How many in the house have had COVID? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) In ancient times, we'd go, oh, God's getting you. God's getting you. He's getting after you. I remember in the the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, when the AIDS AIDS epidemic hit hit the media and it was everywhere that that people in my line of work were standing up going, this is God's judgment on America. God's judging the homosexual community. Okay, if he's judging the homosexual community, then how come little tiny babies wound up with AIDS? You see, we, we, have, such, we, have, we have misrepresented things in Scripture so much for the last 50, 60, 70 years that it's no wonder that people look at us like we're crazy. Well, God's going to have to judge. Well, God will judge when God's good and ready to judge. But thankfully, he's long-suffering. And here's the other side of this. There's no collateral damage in God's judgment. There's no collateral damage in God's judgment. When the end of the time comes, the people that don't go to heaven will be people that rejected Jesus. It's not going to be a few people that, re- that, that didn't reject him that just got mixed up in the hole. He just said, I'm just grabbing a whole bunch of you and chunking you down there. There's no residual. There's no collateral. It's very specific. Here, he's talking specifically to them you are humiliating people. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to praise you for this, and I'm certainly not looking to you as a person that has God's approval on your life. The sun rises and falls on the just and the unjust. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. It's just life, mostly. There's just stuff that happens in our life. So then Paul comes and he moves from the problem to his personal account of what they're t- what's going on. And that is, the, the, he said, I received from the Lord in verse 23. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, what? Whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, was this something that Paul had received through secondhand revelation? Absolutely not. For here he says, I received from the Lord. 
So it's somewhere, even though Paul wasn't present at the time when they were taking the Passover the night he was betrayed, somewhere along the way, he had some encounter with Jesus and Jesus said, this is what happened that night. I received from the Lord and I'm passing it on to you. This is what Jesus told me happened. And oh, by the way, other people have confirmed this as well that were there. So he has this account of what this meal is to be focused on and what its focus is supposed to be. It's not about eating gigantic meals. It's not about drinking the, the, the fruit of the vine to the point where you get snockered. It's not about getting drunk and it's not about gluttony. It is about focusing on the issue, which is the bread and the cup, which is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the focus of the whole meal. That's why we stop here in Genu, we've been stopping at the end of our worship and we, and we take communion together. Why? Because we focus on that moment, what the bread of this little cup represents and this cup represents. Focus, this doing, remember what I did for you. When you take the bread out, remember the stripes on my back. When you drink of the cup, remember the cross, remember the blood that I shed for you. Remember in that moment, focus on that, not anything else. That's the key to having communion explode into your spirit. That's the key to having the Lord's table be something that is more than a ritual in your life. When you focus on what the real deal is with it, the blood and the body of Christ. But whenever you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the oath. Right now, we're talking about the, uh, the whole aspect of the sacrament when it comes to the practice and, 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 uh, and the thing that we do with it. We're going to close out with the oath that we're making. And that's about the proclamation of the gospel when we take of the cup and, and, the, and the fruit and when we're baptized in water as well. He moves right from the account, though, into a process. Everybody say process. Okay. Verse 27. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Okay. Hold that for just a second. We'll hit 28 in just a minute. Here is where some of the most sideways misrepresenting of, misrepresentation of Scripture is found. Because when I, I don't know, if, I think I've told you this before, and some of you have, have expressed this to me too. When I was a little boy, one of the things that, that the preacher would do, or whoever was leading communion, they would go, okay, don't take of the communion in an unworthy manner. If you've got sin in your life, don't you take it. If you have sin in your life and you, and you drink of the cup and you eat of this bread, if you have sin in your life, you could die. You're drinking in an unworthy manner. The problem with that is, that's wrong. How many of you in the house, anybody else in the house, you grew up someone telling you that unworthy is sin in your life? Yeah, a lot of us. A lot of us. That's not the case. As a matter of fact, you saw in one of the earlier teachings that I did when we talked about the Passover, the third cup is the communion cup, and it is the cup of what? Redemption. So it can't be, if you're a sinner, you can't drink of the cup of redemption, because what do sinners need? Redemption. It's not about that. So what is the deal with drinking it in an unworthy manner? Everybody examine yourself before they eat. Before you eat the bread and drink the cup, for those who eat and drink, and here it is, without discerning the body of Christ. They're the ones that are eating and drinking judgment on themselves. That's why many are weak and sick and, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Eating and drinking without discerning 
the body of Christ. This is not referencing the bread and the cup. The body of Christ he's referencing is the community of faith. How can we not, the core issue, the core issue for Paul when we come to the table of the Lord is unity. Unity in the community of faith or in Corinth's case, the lack thereof. Because even though they said some things, they really weren't in unity together. The rich, the poor, the, the, the socioeconomic divides. Galatians 3 tells us this. So in Christ, you're all citizens of God. For all of you who are baptized in Christ have been clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor there is male or female, for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. Throughout his time here on this earth, when Jesus was talking to the disciples, when he was teaching them, he kept saying over and over to them, I want you to be one the way me and the Father are one. I want you to be in unity. I want you to be in unity. Well, and here's the thing about unity. Too many people believe that unity means that I have to agree with everything. And that's just not possible. That's, that, that type of mentality is, is like a cult. When you're forced to believe like, and clone, you know, everybody's going to believe, everybody's going to act. Look, that's not, that's not what this is about. Unity is finding a common denominator and focusing on that. When we sit at the Lord's table, what are we focusing on? The blood and body of Christ. Well, I don't believe in all that Pentecostal charismatic stuff. Great, fine. Ain't no big deal. Well, if I don't speak in tongues, if you don't speak in tongues, that's up to you. But somebody told me I was going to go to hell. You will not. I promise you, you will not. And there are entire denominations that are built around if you, you got to speak in tongues or you're not going to go to heaven. Listen to me. That's wrong. That's just plain flat out wrong. When you start adding things to the finished work of Christ on the cross, that's works righteousness and that takes away from what Jesus did. We're not going to go down that road. That's not the deal. Now, should we want the gift, the devotional gift of tongues? I think we should. I think you should. It's not a weird deal. But you've got to come to that realization as the Holy Spirit brings you into the fullness of that. You've got to come to that realization. I'm not going to beat you over the head with it and go, hey, if you're not going to speak in tongues, you can't be a part of here. That's crazy. That's crazy. So what do we focus on? We set down, we set aside all the residual stuff. The thing that matters more than anything else is Jesus. The center of the walk of the Christ for the, for the Christ follower is Jesus. It's not the other things out here. If we keep Jesus at the center, then we can walk in unity. Well, I don't like songs that way and I don't like singing that way and I don't like black ceilings and black carpet and I don't like this and I don't like that. Okay, fine. Get you some contacts that give it everything a blue tint. Let it be blue not a big deal not a big deal the focus is on Jesus for you are all one in your extraneous doctrines no we're all one in what Christ Jesus but in Corinth there's class division you have the rich the poor you have the haves and the have nots one of the things I've always appreciated about this church is that you never really know who you're sitting next to. 
Being a military community, you might be sitting next to a two-star general and not even know it. And I know that happens here. You might be sitting next to a millionaire and you may be a minimum wage worker and not even know it. Why? Because the focus of this church has and always will be the focus of Jesus Christ. It's not about haves and have-nots. It's not about haves and have-nots. What about racial divides? What about the social justice stuff? Could that be a hindrance? Yes, absolutely. If you let the color of your skin be the filter that you look at someone else's life or the color of their skin, there's a problem in you, not them. It's a problem in you. I've been a part, a part of this a long time and I can tell you I've watched as, as things have evolved down through the years. I remember hearing a district superintendent years ago when we were trying to figure out how to have more African Americans into Assembly of God churches and he stood up and he said, my brothers and sisters, I must tell you that we are equal but separate. I'm just going, what? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Equal but what? Jesus on the cross. Now remember, guys, ladies and gentlemen, you're all equal in me, but you're separate. There's no place for racial issues in God's kingdom. Because God doesn't care the color of your skin. He looks at the quality of your heart. He looks at the heart. He wants to see what's going on inside of you. And you and I should do the same. When I was a youth pastor, I had people coming to me. I need you to tell my daughter why she can't date a black man. Do you really want me to say what, tell you what the Bible says? Well, tell her what the Bible says, pastor. Do you really want me to do that? Maybe you and I need to have a conversation before I tell her this. Amen. No, bless God, you tell her. Okay, darling, here's what the Bible says. Nothing. <laughs> because it doesn't. And then he spoke up and he said, well, what about not being unequally yoked together? <sighs> I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed sometimes at the way people take arguments that have nothing to do with the color of a person's skin and want to bring them into the mix. That's believer, unbeliever. You want me to tell your son or daughter not to date an unbeliever? I'll do that all day long. And also tell them not to do missionary dating too. I'm going to lead them to Jesus. No, God didn't call you to that. Anyway, I'll just move on this morning. Mm-mm-mm. Micah says he has shown you and I what is good. And he's shown us what the Lord requires of us to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Act justly, justice, social justice, any type of justice. Fighting for those that can't fight for themselves. Fighting for those who can't fight for themselves. What, what, about, what about unforgiveness? Oh, can't you just stay on the racial thing for a little bit longer, Pastor? No, let's talk about unforgiveness for just a minute. Let's talk about this today because here's the thing. If unity is, is properly discerning the body of Christ, then what about unforgiveness? 
If you harbor unforgiveness, then would that be considered as not discerning the body of Christ appropriately? Yes. Yes. Well, you don't know what they did to me. I don't have to know what they did to you. Well, let me explain the circumstance. You don't have to explain the circumstance. And listen to me this morning. There is only one place that the grace of God cannot break through. And that's your willingness to hold on to unforgiveness. Well, I got saved when I was a kid. And once saved, I'm always saved. Let me ask you this. Jesus said, if you choose to harbor unforgiveness, then I'm not going to forgive you. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Now, I'm not telling you that you forgive somebody and go right back into a toxic relationship. I'm not saying that. Forgiveness has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with the decision. Forgiveness is, is a matter of the will, as unforgiveness is. I'm choosing to hold on to this hatred. I'm choosing to hold on to this unforgiveness. I will not step across the aisle and say, I forgive you. I won't even do it in my heart. Then guess what? When you stand before God, and we all will, and we will give an account for our deeds, he is going to ask you, why would you not forgive to the extent that I forgave you? You killed me on a cross. And yet I forgave you. Who are you to say you can't forgive the person that cut you off in traffic? <laughs> or abused you when you were a helpless little child? Remember, you ain't, it doesn't mean you got to go back into a relationship. That's not what it's all about. Forgiveness is a matter of the will. You step in and you choose. Why? Because you want to be correct in the process of discerning the body of Christ. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And we use the scripture, we always use the scripture at the offering time. Give and it's going to be given to you. Press down, shaking and running over. Not talking about money. That passage is talking about forgiveness. The passage is talking about forgiveness. You give forgiveness, guess what? It's returned to you. Press down, shaking together and running over. And I don't know about you, but I could use a little bit of that forgiveness running over in my life. I need as much grace as I can have, which means I don't have time and I don't have the luxury of holding it against somebody. I got to turn it loose. If you've got some of that stuff this morning, we're going to be taking this little cup and this bread here in just a few minutes. Get it right. Get it right in your heart. Everybody good? The solution. The solution. Verse 32. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Hardest thing, I'm not even talking about Christians, I'm just saying the hardest thing for, for humans is self awareness. Some of you have been sitting here this morning going, well, I don't have unforgiveness against anybody. I don't hate anybody. I don't have any sin in my life. I like to shake your hand. 
Because the Bible tells me, and I understand the only perfect person, they, they killed him about 2,000 years ago, and he's in, he's in heaven at the right hand of the Father, calling your name and my name every day. Self-awareness. If we would be more discerning with regard to ourselves, each of us, more aware, more discerning of where we are regarding love, regarding acceptance, regarding forgiveness of others. By being aware of our own personal prejudices or predispositions and attitudes toward others in the body of Christ, we can make an honest assessment of our own heart and make the necessary adjustments. But it takes self-awareness. It takes discernment regarding our own selves. Where are you at this morning? Where are you at this morning? Even when it comes to restoring someone, Galatians says this, when you restore, consider yourself. What does he say? Be aware of yourself. Because first and foremost, that could be you. But secondly, you could, in the process of restoring, you could also fall into sin yourself. Consider yourself. Where are you? Verse 28 again, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Everybody examine themselves. The purpose is not to deny the person receiving the elements, but to assess the spiritual needs of the believer in order to receive the dynamic release of potential healing, spiritual renewal that's available for partaking at the table. It's not a matter of the Lord's visitation of wrath upon an unworthy individual. For some reason, we, every time we get these stuff going on in our culture today, we oh, God's judgment, God's judgment, and God is going to judge the world. Yes, it's going to happen. I read the end of the book. It's going to happen. But why are we so hung up on God's judgment? Why aren't we redeeming the time while, because the days are evil? Why aren't we redeeming? Why aren't we doing everything we can to show people the love of Jesus Christ so they don't fall under God's judgment? Could it be because we're not self-aware enough of our own issues? But did you know if you heard this stuff in your heart, it doesn't disqualify you from the table. It doesn't disqualify you from the table, but it will be a hindrance to you receiving the potential healing and the spiritual renewal that's available to every one of us as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of the Lord's visitation of judgment upon an individual. But it is that those who are not discerning the Lord's body do not receive the intended benefits. And as a result, in Corinth, there's weakness, sickness, and even death. And I submit to you even today, because we're not properly discerning the body of Christ. So the benefits are hindered. What are the benefits? We read it last week. Praise the Lord, all my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Look at this. Who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things. Boy, I could preach for an hour and a half on that one phrase right there. Who satisfies your desires. Oh, but I want this person. I've got to, I've got to have this person. I've got desire to have this relationship. I want a physical. I want to, listen to me. The reason he tells us to abstain from sexual immorality until, uh, immorality until, and, and wait until marriage to consummate that is because he wants to protect us and to provide for us. It's not to hinder or keep us from something that's good. 
But yet our desires run rampant and we make all these decisions based on desire, not God's will and word. It's all a part of what we're dealing with here about discerning the body of Christ. Where are you on the scale in self-awareness? He satisfies your life with good des- with desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. There's a cause and effect with a lot of stuff. There's a lot of cause and effect. Even from, from everything we're talking about here to spiritual benefits to, the, to even financial stuff. I can't understand why God doesn't bless me. Well, is he Lord of your pocketbook? Does he get the first fruits of your bank account and your income? Well, I'm not a tither. Okay. Let's talk about that for just a second. Stewardship's coming in September, October. But let's talk about it for just a second. Because it's the same kind of stuff. It's the same kind of stuff. I don't tithe, Pastor. Okay, let's take that. Jesus said this. That the requirement under grace exceeds the requirement under the law. The law says 10%. Jesus said Grace exceeds that. Why? The motivation from which we give. It's not about if I don't give this, God's going to smack me around. It's because God has forgiven me of all of my sin, past, present, and future. Everything that I have, everything that I ever hope to be will come in and through him. And because of that, I respond, not just giving him my life, but giving him my all, and that includes my finances. But because we don't properly discern the body of Christ, and we're not self-aware enough, we forfeit the benefits that God has provided for us. The dynamic release of healing and spiritual renewal. That's the benefits. Let's stand all over the house this morning. As you stand, pick up your elements. The benefits, the dynamic release of healing and spiritual renewal. Have you examined yourself? Where are you? Where are you? I can't say you're here or you're there. You have to determine that. But I challenge you to take a close look, an honest look. Remember he said we're not properly discerning the body of Christ. We're not properly, we're not self-aware enough. We're not, we need to be more discerning, verse 20, 30, 32, more discerning with regard to ourselves. Where are we? Where are you? What's going on with you? Is there something in your life that needs to be addressed? You got unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody. Let it go. Let it go. What do I have to tell them? (laughs) At some point, you're going to have to if you're going to move beyond it. First, there's got to be a decision to forgive. What if they're dead, Pastor? Okay. Write them a letter stating everything. You did this. This hurt me deeply. But today I choose to forgive you. And sign your name to it. And then take it outside to your fire pit. And set fire to it. And put it down and watch it go away. But if there's somebody on this side still alive, 
that you need to forgive, you need to do it. If you got prejudice in your heart towards someone of another race, you need to fix it. If you're one of the haves and you look down on the have-nots, you need to fix it. If you're a have-not and you are jealous of the haves, you need to fix it. We need to be more discerning with regard to our own self. Jesus said it this way. Why are you looking at a speck in someone else when you have a log in your own eye? First, remove the log. And then you might be able to help someone else with their speck. We read the psalm earlier. Psalm 23, in that latter part, he says, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. That's what this was about. So let's take a moment this morning. Just bow your heads all over the house. Close your eyes. I don't want anybody looking around. And then just begin to examine yourself in a moment. Just begin to examine yourself in this moment. Right now, right where you're at. Take a look deep inside. Father, speak deeply to us in this house by your spirit this morning. Speak deeply. Go ahead and take out the bread. I feel, I just, I can't get away from this. I've been trying for the last minute or so trying to shake this thing but I just need to tell you something this morning when it comes to forgiving people most of the time it's going to involve an apology I just need to tell you that an apology is simply I am sorry if you add anything to it then it's not an apology in other words, if you go, I'm sorry, but you did, that's not an apology. That's justification. An apology is simply, I am sorry for hurting you. I am sorry for the way I've treated you. I am sorry.
don't add anything to it. But they need to know. No, they, they really don't. This is not about anybody else other than you and I this morning. This is personal today. Regarding our own, more discerning regarding our own selves. The night the Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Shall we eat together this morning? He took the cup. He gave thanks. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink all of it. Father, thank you for your blood. Shall we drink this morning? Father, I pray today as we drink of this cup and eat of this bread today that we will be more discerning of our own self. God, for those in this house that need to offer forgiveness, and then they would do that by your Holy Spirit. May we examine ourselves on a daily basis, Lord. And every time that we come to this table, Father, may we stand before you with a clean heart. Be glorified in us and be glorified through us. We thank you that the cup that we partake this morning is the cup of redemption. That we're redeemed by your blood. And we all said amen. Let's say the Lord's Prayer before Tommy comes this morning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. God bless you, Jenny. I love you.